If you'd like to support the show in a way other than just listening, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the flight diary for more information. This episode of The Flight Diary is brought to you by Wander Disc Golf, a brand that's bred from passion for the sport and all of the beautiful places it can take us. Wander has a wide variety of thoughtful apparel rooted in disc golf and an advocacy for mental health. Find them at at Wander Disc Golf on Instagram and shop at wanderdiscgolf.com. You're listening to The Flight Diary, an intimate collection of stories, theories, and thoughts from the world of professional disc golf. I'm your host, Brian Earhart. There's something special about Ben Calloway, and I want the world to know. At the age of 34, Ben was presented with an opportunity to chase a dream he previously had counted out of his life forever. Watching his success in the 2021 Disc Golf Pro Tour not only feels expected, but deeply satisfying as a longtime friend of his. Ben is disciplined, passionate, humble, and when it comes to throwing the backhand, he's pretty much at the top of my list. If you've only seen glimpses of him from lead cards this season, hopefully this gives you some more insight as to how he got there. Enjoy. But I like to start these episodes with some things that I'm curious about because me and you know each other a decent amount. I've, I stood up in your wedding. I got mm-hmm. to talk about your character to people I didn't know. <laughs> you sure which did. Which was, I tried over the yelling children. I did the best I could. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I don't, I don't feel like I know a lot about pre-disc golf Ben mm. as much as I feel like I should. I guess the times that we've been in the car together, you've been singing show tunes mm. uh, in sync <laughs> just yeah. beautifully with your pop voice. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about when you were in like the very impressionable years, elementary school, and you grew up in Iowa, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was growing up in Iowa like for you? What a lot of people don't understand is that uh, Iowa is not just a bunch of corn and, uh, and, and goat-fed people, you know what I mean? So uh, I grew up in an area that was called the Quad Cities, and growing up in elementary school was, you know, pre- I feel like pretty typical for, for most kids. I was, a, I was a pretty rambunctious young man, and <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed sports at a very yeah. young age, and school was not really something that I was into I, I I mean I I enjoyed learning new things mm-hmm. I feel like at a young age I had a I had ADHD that we just didn't know Th- I, I feel you yeah <laughs> if, if it seems like I I come across people who go to elementary school and they they like go into the like school thinking they have to like be great at school mm-hmm. and then I meet other kids that are like I my brain was like shut off when I went yeah. to school was that was that kind of like what you were it, it was and, and it definitely depended on the teachers for sure like I had some great teachers in elementary school there was actually one that sticks out it was my first grade teacher Mrs. Uh, Apple she was she was pretty good to me when I was younger because yeah I was just didn't really pay attention much mm-hmm. so 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 then but you remember her and you paid attention in school I paid attention to to what she like like she okay. like did cuz obviously you know in, in first grade you're just you know at my school we learned literally everything in the same classroom we had the same teacher yeah we didn't go from you know uh, class to class yeah so right on but you enjoyed living in Iowa you enjoyed at least like your memories of growing up there were were great yeah living in Iowa was was yeah it was great 
I mean, obviously the winters were terrible, mm-hmm. you know, so, but other than that, I mean, everything else was pretty ideal. I, I mean, I met a lot of great people mm-hmm. growing up and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it's nope. good. I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't really know where else I would live personally. Yeah. Me and my wife have talked about that before, but I was a pretty good state to be in. Yeah. It really is. You mentioned being likely an ADHD child, mm-hmm. a, a child with ADHD, um, which is a very different uh, existence mm-hmm. for a young kid. And what did you gravitate to early on? What I gravitated to, um, if, if like when I had to be in school, was definitely art. I loved, okay. I loved, I loved doodling. Uh, but then as soon as recess happened, mm. uh, I immediately just went to whatever they had in the bins because we just had giant bins. And that was back when they didn't have really any like regulations uh-huh. as far as what you could <laughs> and could not play with. So we had legit baseball bats and balls, <laughs> baseballs like in the bins. And like, Did you really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, so you know, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids would just get out these metal bats and oh go out gosh. to the field and, and play baseball. Yeah. You know, we didn't have mitts, so we had to, you know, play barehanded. But What? Uh, oh, yeah. What was this, 1940? I mean, I don't know, but... That's awesome. I mean, my school was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. But and, but that was, that was the fun thing about, you know, growing up in that. Like, like all the kids, I feel like, played sports. Like, you had the ones that went to the jungle gym immediately, but, uh-huh. you know, we had, they had the soccer balls in there, basketballs. Tetherball. Tetherball oh, was Oh, you a, had Tetherball? We had Tetherball. Tetherball was huge. Foursquare, huge. So <laughs> much fun. Did you guys ever get to play Red Rover? Oh, absolutely. Did you ever have the like the, the one kid that broke their arm playing Red Rover? Oh, yeah. We, we always had the, the bigger kid, yeah. you know, that would just purposefully <laughs> try to run you down like a linebacker, you know, just... <gasps> anyway, so. I just can't believe that that was even a thing back... Like, oh, yeah. I mean, people complain about schools having to ban all these things, but looking back, like, that was some brutal recess. Like, mm-hmm. luckily, we survived, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I came out fine. I mean, yeah, well, mo- look mo- at you. Most of the people that I know from my school, they, they came out fine. Yeah. That's good times. That's so... Yeah, and it sounds like good times. <laughs> it sounds like you have very vivid memories of that. Yeah, um, I do. I do remember that one. That's awesome. I, I, I guess outside of school, what were you gravitating towards, like, sports-wise? Did your parents put you into sports? Did your parents, mm. like, kind of let you find what you wanted to do? I know you had siblings as well. Well, outside of school was basically the kids that I went to school with because we... I, I loved being outside. Mm-hmm. And that was also a time, like, during the summer, um, especially, was... Me and I would we, we would go wrangle up all the neighborhood kids, uh-huh. and we would go do exactly what we you know would do at recess, and we'd get all the kids and we'd, we'd try to get nine of us, and we'd go play a game of baseball like a full on team, you know, and just rotate. Did in. you really? I, you put oh, all the work in and all of them. We, we yeah, we had we had full like not full teams like a nine and nine, yeah. but we had at least nine kids so that way we could play each position. And if we didn't have that, then we just would manage. Yeah, but, you'd have one kid batting and then the rest of the kids mm-hmm, find the field. Exactly. So yeah. we would we would do that. And then if uh, we couldn't get in, you know as many kids, then we would just go ride our bikes in the ravine mm-hmm. or down a bike path, whatever, and just go throw rocks into the river, uh, things like that. You say um, that about Iowa. Like, that's what I re- – like, when I've been to Iowa, that's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like, the cornfields, of course, like when you drive yeah. down the interstate. But there's a lot of, like – Mm-hmm. Areas that are really beautiful out oh, yeah. in Iowa. So many memories made. Yeah, a lot of memories of opposed to just you know like just looking out and like oh look at all that farmland. Like it's it's more than that. Way more than that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I guess you were baseball player. 
Did you uh, play Little League? I did play Little League. Uh, I started at the age of uh, seven or eight, and then I played until about ten. Mm-hmm. I was I was pretty good at baseball. I I, I feel like if I would have continued with it, I could have been, you know, pretty exceptional because I I made a lot of uh, All Star games. Oh yeah, uh, on All Star teams, and and I was one of the. I mean, I don't want to sound. Just like no, it's a magical time, man. Little yeah. League is a big deal. It was a big deal, but I was I was definitely one of the more talented players on the team for sure. Mm-hmm. And I put a lot of effort and in, in time into trying to be, you know, pretty good at what I did. Like mm-hmm. I was one of those kids that outside of practice, I, I would go and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I should mention that where I lived, mm-hmm. uh, the parks that we would play at was literally right in my backyard. Wow. Okay. Like outside my room, I could look out, and then there's the baseball fields that we are pra- practicing on and playing on. It's like the dream for a kid. That's yeah. awesome. And then so I would just I would go out and I would uh, if I had the opportunity to so, you know have a friend or maybe even my dad come out and like you know pitch me some balls mm-hmm. and I would just run yeah run around the bases like a crazy kid like a crazy kid yeah yeah <laughs> so then yeah you played a little bit of baseball yada yada mm-hmm. you've told me previously in our non-podcast conversation <laughs> that you have played sports your whole life pretty much mm-hmm. what was the one that as you kind of got older that you like latched on to uh as i got older well there, there's a few but the one that really uh, latched on to me was skateboarding uh-huh I, I skateboarded for quite a few years like eight or nine uh very committed years talk to me about that because i've always known you skateboarded and you showed me a couple like old school mixtape videos of mm-hmm. you doing it and i've been like absolutely impressed like please <laughs> tell me more about like your life skateboarding so uh after baseball it was uh it was pretty short uh, uh time after that it was like uh, in junior high i think i was about 12 or 13 years mm-hmm. old and uh pokemon cards were a big thing uh-huh. okay i mean they're still big now but they were really big then too mm-hmm. and i remember uh collecting uh so many of them and then one day i just saw uh these kids riding skateboards to school and i was just like that actually looks like a lot of fun. Uh-huh. That looks pretty cool. And this one kid, the we've we've exchanged cards before. He had a skateboard, and I looked at him and said, "Hey, I'll give you this holographic uh, Aerodactyl if you give me that skateboard." No way, you did that? Absolutely. And he's Salesman. like, and and he's like, okay. And little did he know I had two of them. So I was like, uh, it's, it's a steal for me. So <laughs> what a hustler! Yeah. So I gave him that, and I got my first skateboard that way. And then I went home and I tried, you know, doing whatever it was that I could find uh, uh, because obviously social media wasn't really that big of a thing back then. So I would try to watch videos or uh, look up any sort of VHSs. That's how old I am. Yeah, Yeah, because YouTube was like 05 or 04 or something like that. Yeah, 05, 04, maybe even 06 even. Yeah, 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 definitely. this is definitely predated from that. So, um, and then I just became addicted. Mm -hmm. It It was my drug. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get better at everything uh, skateboarding. What was the, the thing that you enjoyed the most in skateboarding? Were you, did you like going down hills? Did you like, you know, ollieing stairs? You know, what did you like doing? Uh, I definitely threw myself down a lot of obstacles for sure. <laughs> down downstairs and, and just over gaps and, you know, um, at skate parks, you know, I would just, you know, launch myself off of hubbas and pyramids <laughs> and things like that. So I, I definitely loved that. But then... I started learning the technical side of skateboarding, you know, flips uh, uh, and shoves and and uh, definitely loved landing uh-huh. new tricks in that way. Because, yeah, like like in the 90s, skateboarding was more of uh, vert. 
Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, like, like Tony it, Hawk kind of stuff? Exactly. Kind of like, you know, Tony Hawk and then like the X Games. It, it, it they, they had, you know, street, but mm-hmm. it was definitely more... Uh, it wasn't like street. That's gotten cooler recently. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. Street League, yeah, yeah. It's it's a completely different ball game now. But uh, it, it was it was still more like vert. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were just really intrigued by like how high they can go, how many spins they can do, and then in the streets, <laughs> in the streets, yeah, uh, in, the streets. yeah in the streets, yeah, yeah. Uh, street skating. That's where that's where you got to see like the true evolution of skateboarding and like what you could what you could be capable of, huh? So it's, then, who were you inspired by? Did you follow a lot of pro skaters back in the day, or like what was your? Yeah, I I liked a, a special company, uh, Circa Circa Shoes was a, a big company, and, and S Shoes, and I also liked uh, the skateboard companies Zero and Zoo York. Uh-huh. So, and there was a few skateboarders uh, on those teams where there you had Chris Cole, um, they had Eric Costin, mm-hmm. and Ryan Sheckler. Oh yeah, he, he, was a, he actually was a really good skateboarder. Oh, he was right? a ph- phenomenal, phenomenal skater. Like wh- wh- who's who Ryan Sheckler was in the '90s, early 2000s is like who Nigel Houston is today. Okay, you know, like that that type of fame, that good of a skater. So, you know, watching these guys, like waiting for their videos to come out, uh-huh. kind of like a new CD, you know, because you know what they're doing. They're throwing down bangers. Oh, I, I just remembered another one, Jamie Thomas. Oh yeah, Jamie Thomas is a. A phenomenal skater. I so. love that I recognize these names. It yeah. makes me feel like I've played enough Tony Hawk Pro Skater in my yeah, day. Exactly, yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. Those games. Oh yeah. Anyway, we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I would I would watch these guys and just try to emulate every anything that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, how much physical like limitation was there like to, to doing the things that they did? Was it just practice, or did you have to be like a certain amount of? Did you have to have a certain amount of strength? Uh, and explosiveness to do some of the things that they were doing. I mean, absolutely. I yeah. feel, I, but I, I, th- I think that came pretty natural to me because I okay. was, I was a pretty light uh, and springy kid. Okay, which helps in, in skateboarding. You know, I mean, if you're light and you have some pretty strong legs, you can do quite a few tricks. Uh-huh. Um, but, but uh, that that also came with practice. Like, yeah. the, I got stronger as. As you know, as the years went on, when I started skateboarding, yeah, so. just through repetition and whatnot. Exactly, just did, repetition. Did you ever get like? Were you just a part of the skate community in your area, or did you actually try to take it competitively? Like, where, like, what was its role in your life as you got older? Uh, it was definitely more of a community to start for for the longest time. Uh, competitions weren't really a thing. Like, they had a, we had a uh, skate park called Rampage back in the day. Uh, it's no longer there now, but they would host uh, random competitions there. Um, but I never, I, I never really got into that. Uh, mm-hmm. area of it okay like our like the group of people that i hung out with for skateboarding it, it we, like our idea was like to make videos do parts like the pros are yeah and then try to get that tape out there and try to make it that way i see rather than being in competition that sounds so cool like like pre- it is social cool. media that was how you had to make it mm-hmm. you know you had to make up like a vhs tape of yourself mm-hmm. it was all word of mouth Mm-hmm. Everything was word of mouth, like, oh my gosh, this new video is about to drop by, by zero, dude, and we got to get it. Yeah. It's going to be so sick. I heard that so-and-so laid down this solid banger, and it's like a trick that's never even been done before. We got to get oh, it. Oh, that's so cool. I like, love and that. So you, yeah, so you, you're like anticipating that, and you're, you can't wait for that trick. Like Something that really fascinates me, and, and as I'm getting older, I'm realizing how much I truly love it, and it's the evolution of sports in general. Each mm-hmm. Each individual sport, you know, what catalyst moments in the gameplay 
alter the way people do it. And I think skateboarding is like the epitome of that concept. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated by skateboarding, even though I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're explaining sounds so incredible. Like people just innovating and innovating and innovating mm-hmm. and innovating. It almost reminds me of, of the Frisbee community in a way. It's very similar, to be honest with you. Like when I started uh, skateboarding and then, you know, eventually that kind of dwindled out of my life. And then when I picked up, you know, throwing discs for the first time, yeah. it like the community, um, the way how uh, disc golf is like viewed in the public's eyes. Yeah. It's it's very, very similar. And it, it was it, it almost kind of it was it was a little strange because it almost felt like I was at home already. It was yeah. weird because like I've been through this before. And it's still a little bit counterculture. Like when you picked it up back then, it was still very like counterculture sport. I don't quite remember. Did you pick up disc golf? And did you find disc golf after you graduated, like high school and whatnot, or when? Te- technically, yes. Okay. Technically, yes. What was what was the end of high school looking like for you? I always ask people mm-hmm. this because I, 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 everyone has a different like sure. story. Like, what, where was your head at that time? Like, were you thinking about college? Were your parents like pushing you to do a certain thing? Mm-hmm. So at the end of college, um, skateboarding. It was that was around the time when it started like kind of dwindling out of my life, and I, I found another sport to play. But we can dive into that. Uh, racquetball is what it was. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. so I, I got pretty heavy into that. But at the end of that, uh, college was on my mind. My my dad was a pastor, um, uh, and a minister, so I actually wanted to. I wanted to be my dad. Like okay. the, my athletic ability and and, and 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 the man I am today came from him, mm-hmm. and. He uh, was a very inspirational uh, person in my life, and I, I wanted to just do everything that he did. Mm-hmm. And so I, my goal at, in high school, after high school, was I was going to go to go to school, Bible college, mm-hmm. and become a pastor like my dad. And then eventually we were going to uh, build a church. Together. Father, son. You know, wow. He, yeah. Like that, like that was my, that was my vision in my mind. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what his was. I, I'm sure he would have loved that. Yeah. So... But that's what I. That's where I was uh, out of high school. So driven. Yeah, I was. I I felt very driven uh, during that. Like, high school never really. It, there was nothing in high school that like caught my attention. Like in academia, like yeah, yeah, yeah nothing at all. Nothing in what because I, I was so focused on wanting to do other things. Yeah. Like I couldn't get. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. So then, did you end up going to Bible college, or what did I, what did you end up doing? What happened? Uh, I didn't end up going to Bible college, and most mostly what it was is my my dad actually did end up starting uh his own church mm-hmm. and this is uh when i'm around 19 20 years old mm-hmm. and it you know big family effort you know we're all helping in to pitch in to try to make this work so i was actually a part of the band i i, I played the drums oh you, mm-hmm. you just do everything man what <laughs> so yeah i was i was a part of the band i i played the drums and then uh when when the band our, our worship leader, when he decided to go another direction, mm-hmm. then we had my mother who uh, sings and then a, uh, another friend uh, do like gospel songs yeah. and then I would run sound. So they would basically just sing over a, a CD and then I would run the sound mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. And there, there was a lot of uh, things happening on in the background mm-hmm. of when that whole thing was going on that I wasn't quite aware of. Okay. Um, just a lot of confrontation that's going on between my mother and my father mm-hmm. and then uh, some other people uh, that were also involved with the church and I was not aware uh, exactly of what was going down, but it, it didn't sit well. With you. Yeah. It did not sit well with me and it, it definitely did not put uh, a good 
well, not I wouldn't say not a good. It, it, it gave me a different perspective mm-hmm. on what it was that I actually wanted to do with the rest of my life. I know, basically. So, so then, yeah, wow, like c- completely, like, mm-hmm. like ninety degree turn, pretty like, much. So then, w- like, w- what what's going on? What's going on in your head at that point? So, at, at that point, I just the only th- like I just thought that going to college was pointless. Okay. I'm like, I'm not going to college. Like, cause a lot of my friends that were going to college, they, they weren't getting jobs Yeah, going, you know, going for four, five, six, you know, eight years. And they're, they're, they're stuck at home, just in a, debt, in debt yeah. with a nine to five. And I'm thinking, okay, well I'll just go get a nine to five. Yeah. Work, work my butt off, make some money. And then I'll be able to afford things. Yeah. I mean, plus I, I mean, I also, I've had a job since I was 16 you know, I worked through high school and then. Uh, I wanted to get a better job than that, so which was at Chick Fil A. So I wind, I wound Yummy. up, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Chick Fil A's fire. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I got a job at this uh, warehouse uh, for American TV and appliance, and I, I was working crazy hours and making pretty decent money uh, doing that. And then this is also around the same time when I found. Disc golf. Yeah. Uh-oh, new timeline. New timeline. <laughs> so, um, but before I get into that, I guess I should tr- try to preface this with, like, how I got into yeah. disc golf. Because I, I said it on another uh, podcast that I started playing when I was uh, 17 or 18 years old, but that's actually not correct. Uh-huh. 18 years old is when I was introduced to what a disc in disc golf was. Yeah. Which was a birdie. Oh, it the was DX a, birdie? A DX birdie putter. Oh. And... We were playing ultimate uh, at like a, a senior function. It was like one of the you know our last year, and we, it was a senior year function, mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of us was just playing with that disc. And that was the first time I was introduced to what a disc was, because before that I just knew what a frisbee was, mm-hmm. and I would throw that. So fast forward two years later, uh, some friends of mine who I uh, worked with at Chick Fil A at the they introduced me to to disc golf. They said, "Hey, you want to come out and play with us?" Mm-hmm. And I was like. Okay, I let's go. <laughs> this is like the answer that everybody gives. It, the it first really time. is. Like, I mean, it's not. It's not. You know, maybe it's kind of boring. It's not exactly glamorous, but it it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just went out and I I was hooked instantly. Pretty much. Like they gave me uh, a few discs to throw. Uh, I one of them was a beast. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One was an orc. If I had to guess, I think it was a champion orc. That's it, probably a little difficult to throw initially. Yeah, yeah. Initially, yeah. I mean, I, I, straight up in the air, straight, straight <laughs> left. I, yeah. Me, me throwing in the, in the very beginning earlies of disc golf was not. I mean, it was just typical like everybody else. I thought you I were could chucking. Throw, I was just chucking discs, whatever. But then there was a few times where I got a hold of one, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I actually saw the the flight of the disc, and I was like, whoa, I did that. Yeah. Like, there's no other sport you can do that in. Not no. There really isn't. Mm-mm. And, I mean, I, I guess the only other, I mean, the closest sport I can think of is, is golf, where you can shape a, you can shape those kind of shots. But with your hands, But with ben. your hands. Yeah. Exactly. Correct. It, it, no, it's not a thing. So, after that, the only thing I wanted to do was just, I wanted to see how far I could throw uh-huh. a disc. That's all I cared about. Was the distance. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see how far I could throw these. Because, you know, my, my buddies that I was playing with, they, they were throwing decently far, but they yeah. were, they've been playing for a little while, and they understood uh, the mechanics and the, 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 sh- the shot shapes of it. I didn't really know anything about that. 
I just wanted to take the disc and rip it as hard as I could. Ah, yes. And then, so... I feel you. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people felt that way. Mm-hmm. So I would go to my uh, local course and just rip shots. Uh-huh. And, and again, that, that kind of starts a new reality for you. I mean, when you find that thing, kind of like skateboarding was for you as a younger, you know, in your younger years, when you find that in, like, your adult years, that thing you want to sink your teeth fully into, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, it's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty wild feeling. Take me through, I mean, you started playing tournaments I saw in 09. Mm-hmm. How quickly did you really start thinking, okay, I like throwing far, I like mm-hmm. throwing far, let's play a tournament. That's like two totally different things. Sure, sure. So I guess one thing I should have uh, mentioned earlier is that I, I am a very competitive person. Really? Very com- <laughs> very competitive. I had no idea. But... If anybody, yeah. So yeah, I'm a very competitive person and uh, I, just, I just love the thrills from competition because I, I love trying, I, I love challenge. So when I, when I, when I started throwing discs... I, I wasn't no, I didn't know anything about what the PDJ was. Yeah. You know, this is um, like late 07, early 08. Mm-hmm. And obviously in Iowa, you know, I, late 07 is like August drifting into October. And then, you know, the, the winter, winter, winter starts to months. hit. Exactly. Yeah. Winter for seven months. And then I finally get to go outside in April <laughs> and then have to wait for the cold front again and then go back out in June. The Midwestern blunder. Uh, it's, yeah. it's miserable. But so, so early 08, I'm just you know, throwing discs as hard as I can. And, <laughs> I and can then, envision this. And, and then there's, you know, a local league that happens every, every week, which I, I didn't know about, that uh, the shop Iron Lion po- put mm-hmm. up. Uh, and it's called King of the Courses. And a, lo- a, lot, a lot of the guys, uh, like the local pros, uh, would show up and, you know, they would play. And I, I didn't play the King of the Courses, but I, w- I would just play casually, like, in, while they were like there. while they were playing, and I'm just I'm just throwing in, you know, waiting my turn, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then one day, I remember, it was Mike Robinson, uh, Chase Roberts, and there was a, a few other uh, people. They were at Eastern Park, which mm-hmm. is my home course, and I had caught up with them. I was a single. I had caught them uh, caught them on hole twelve, and they asked if I wanted to play with them, mm-hmm. and I said sure. And I never, I'll, I'll never forget it because it, it was just funny. I had a DX Valkyrie yes. in my hand on hole 12, and it's a par four, water on the left, ravine on the right, and it's a very tight fairway, maybe 50 feet. The goal is just to keep it in the middle of the fairway. And I, I threw my Valkyrie on this hyzer flip, left to right, late turn, and then it just melts into the fairway. Okay. With a DX Valkyrie? With a DX Valkyrie. What a dream come true. Right. Well, I didn't realize. At the time, I had no idea how technical that shot was. Yeah, it's that's hard. just that's just what I did. That's mm-hmm. like 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 that disc to me. I was like, wow, this thing really likes to go to the right. So that means I need to put like this much of an angle on it to get it to go further. Mm-hmm. Like that because that's what I wanted to you do. You just, just worked that out in your head. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted it to go f- as far as I it could. Yeah. So that's that's that that was my mindset, and I was like, okay, well, I know that this 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 does that, so I can just throw it a little bit softer, and it'll just kind of melt. To the right. I love just, melt. I love melt. I'm gonna too. use that. Yeah, please Thank do. You. Thank please you. Do. But yeah. go on. Anyway. And then I heard somebody in the back just say, as I'm on the team, they're just like, that was just so good. And you're like, huh? And I was like, Well, thank you. That was yeah. So then and then that and then obviously that that moment then led to me playing more lo- local leagues mm-hmm. and eventually starting to uh 
understand like what the PDJ was because I had no idea. Yeah. Because when they introduced me to the PDJ, like, yeah, people, you know, play tournaments in this and they, they make money. And I was like, what? <laughs> mm. I, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. That sounds like that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So after a year of playing like leagues and 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 being coached uh, essentially by a lot of the, you know the local pros that I was playing you had with, some good players. I did. I really I was I was pretty blessed in in the Iowa community for sure. Yeah, you had Mike Rob- Mike Robinson was a big deal. I mean, like- Mike, we had Mike Robinson, Chris Sprague, Adam Olson. Uh, you know, a few guys that are local. Uh, we had like Dave Arango, Fat Boss. Shout out chase roberts i mean so many people yeah and you know these are the guys that i get to to to, to watch play every day mm-hmm. every, every week and i was very fortunate and then uh, shortly after that that's when i signed up for the pdga and then eventually played my first tournament like I, in march i think it was the OPC getting your Open. discount yeah getting, getting your discount, discount on tournaments getting my discount. and yeah you jumped in quick like you went straight to advanced and mm-hmm. i yeah. remember looking up the stats i think you shot like a 940 and like a 960 like mm-hmm. like your very first pdga event were you throwing that dx valkyrie uh i don't know if i was throwing it um during the, it was really cold uh-huh and when i get cold i i i don't i don't throw the same Okay. So I, I I tend to throw a lot harder. So I probably threw more stable discs. I see. And and plus the the course that we were playing was definitely not one that you'd want to throw like like a lot of high you know flippy shots. Yeah. And it was more just like direct. I see. So what was your game like when you were starting out playing tournaments? That that's something that I'm curious about because I love watching you play now. Like me and mm-hmm. you like love bouncing ideas off each other with shot shaping. Mm-hmm. Were you doing stuff like that back then? A little, yeah, I, I definitely was, but I was not really aware of what what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was throwing rocks mm-hmm. on a lot of holes. Like, I, I was throwing rocks on probably like three fifty to four hundred feet back then, <laughs> and people like I didn't realize that that was far. I had no idea. Yeah, you were just doing what you thought I was, was right. Yeah, I was just doing what it was, the, mm-hmm. and, and and people were just looking at me, going like, "What is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> so my 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 game was. Very impressive off the tee. Yeah. On the green, not so much. Yeah. Couldn't putt worth a lick. Because you probably didn't practice putting that much. Not really. Like, it, my oh, my putting my putting woes uh, for <laughs> the first few years were so bad. I, I switched up my putting style mm-hmm. so many times in, in like, two-year span, mm-hmm. and it was just not good either. Like, I, I, I didn't have any discipline as far as when I tried a new style, like trying to stick with it. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as I felt like it wasn't going, I'm like, ugh, ugh, got to do something new I gotta now. Got to switch putters gotta now. Got to switch putters. Well, not, not even putters. Yeah. Like, like I got to try something new. Like I got to do something. I got to spin putt. I have to push putt. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So off the tee, it was definitely, uh, just trying to, I was basically just trying to park every single hole. Yeah. Like I didn't, I, I had no idea what, what golf was, mm-hmm. you know, but you loved throwing a Frisbee. I just loved throwing it as hard and as far as I could. And I, <laughs> I wanted to park every single hole. So that way I didn't have to putt. Yeah. So the happy Gilmore technique, if you that's will. That's so. That's so funny because I, <laughs> I, I see you now as such a well-rounded player, but I started tournaments the same way, and I started disc golf the same way, and I think that might that might have been why me and you like clicked right away. I forgot exactly the year that we met, but I was like, this guy, this guy mm-hmm. throws. This yeah. guy knows what's up. You and I definitely, yeah, we definitely clicked on in, in that regard. Like we just we love the flight of the frisbee, mm-hmm. and we also I, one one thing that we we clicked up with was uh, MTA. 
Yes. Yeah. MTA throw catch and yeah, we 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 really clicked on and that. And we were actually throwing frisbees. We were. And and that was like one of the first times I met you. We we were playing catch. Like mm-hmm. I walked up when you and, and Mike Robinson were playing catch at Mississippi, mm-hmm. at the course in Illinois that yep. we would play tournaments at. Underrated course in Illinois, by the way. Absolutely, it is. Um. And I was like, oh, I can show off my skills to these guys. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so good. Mm-hmm. They throw just, you know, they throw a catch just, just just like I do. And instantly I was like, this guy knows what's up. And I wanted to know more about you. I still didn't get to learn a ton about you until a couple of years later. But sure, sure. I think that's so interesting how you just in your head worked out the shot shaping. Because that's mm-hmm. one of the hardest things to learn are, are, you know, are the breaking points and like getting a disc to drift and do what you were saying, like melting into the fairway. Obviously, right. like it's panning as it's an, it's like Anheusering and like I know exactly what you're talking about. That's not something you find, you figure out so quickly in mm-hmm. disc golf. But is it because you were skateboarding? Is it because, is that why you were fascinated with figuring the flight of the disc out? Oh, Probably. Yeah. I mean, because it, it was something new, and I just wanted to... Because the shots that my friends were throwing, they weren't really technical or, or fascinating. They, they, they were literally just throwing a hyzer flip, and then it would it would hyzer out at the, in the end. Yeah. And it wasn't going that, that far. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, like, I, I feel like the disc can go further than that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to try to do that. So I figured it out, and, like, I, obviously in my head, I'm just thinking, okay, well, if he throws it, that disc at that angle... Mm-hmm. and it holds for that long of a period, well, what if I throw it up in the air to the left here mm-hmm. on this angle? Maybe it'll hold longer. Yeah. So that's that's just how my mind worked. That's I was awesome. just like, I'm just like, I'm going to throw it that way, and then it's going to go that way, and then if it comes out, then I can just throw it harder. Yeah. That, yeah, it's funny because there wasn't a lot of YouTube like there, mm-hmm. were, there weren't a lot of instructionals that you could really buy that taught that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I just find that very fascinating the way that you figured that out so early on in your playing. Moving forward, you were playing Am for a little bit. I saw there was a there was a season in 2010 that you did, denied cash and open a few times. I think mm-hmm. 2011 you were denying cash and mm-hmm. open because you were staying an amateur. Mm-hmm. And leading up to Toboggan in 2011, like another timeline, it seems like kind of started for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, you played the U.S. Amateurs in 2010. I think you got sixth. I did. Yeah. And then moving into 2011, you played again. And the toboggan back in the day with all the courses in the States, mm. that course was like... Oh, dude, it was so... That was like gold standard, mm-hmm. man. That was awesome, awesome oh, yeah. course. And I was at the 2011 U.S. Amateur. I remember. I, I did I went... not get the same place that you got in that tournament. That was a cr- crazy culture shock for me. I had never played a course like that in my life. Yeah. Completely different course of what it is now. Yeah. Talk, like... to, talk to me about 2011 U.S. Ams at the Toboggan. Funny enough, I played with Ben Askren that week. That was the first. No. Yeah. 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 I played with Ben Askren in 2011. During the final round? Or was it just during... It was a first-round pairing, okay, and okay. I got to see him play, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's this big deal wrestling yeah, guy, dude. and I was like, he's not throwing very far. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet he was putting... He was putting like a madman. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, talk me through this week, because you're an amateur, you smash the disc, you said your short game was eh, you treat all sports and everything that you do with a lot of intention, mm-hmm. and I really admire that about you. Talk to me about that year, that week, and kind of how... That kind of elevated your disc golf life. Sure. Um, well, if if I'm going to talk about uh, leading up to that tournament, uh, it has to start with the year before, uh-huh. which is when I took sixth place. Yeah. Because during the final round, 
I had actually shot a very great round. I knew that I was shooting pretty well, but I didn't know how well. Mm -hmm. This is also the year that Dave Wiggins Jr. Uh, won yeah. and beat you know beat the field by. Kind of got wrangled on that one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I mean, there was no chance of me winning. I, I knew that I could finish pretty decent, and I I shot a, I believe I shot a fifty six. I put my score in correctly. No. I, I put my score in in incorrectly and two stroke penalty, which then in turned out to be a fifty eight, and then. I ended up taking sixth place. Now, if I had turned it in correctly, I would have taken second. I no mean, way. Second place, which I, you know, which is funny because then I would have tied Ricky Wysocki uh, really? for second place. Yeah, he was there oh that my year. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. He, Ricky Wysocki took second place to Dave Wiggins in 2010 US Ams. That was back when he was like spin putting too, like oh, hardcore oh, yeah. spin putt, big spinny huge boy, huge sidearm. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. like almost no backhand really. Mm -hmm. Like he was just bombing sidearm. There's actually video of it from 2010 of of him putting on hole 18 just jamming this huge you know ricky style shock, yeah. shocking just this huge spinny putt from like 60 to end the tournament um ice cold yeah so so sick so after that happened i i thought to myself i i know i can win this this tournament yeah i know i have the skills and i just need to buckle down and just work for it yeah so that's that was my mindset leaving that, that tournament. That fired you up. Yeah, that was my mindset leaving that tournament. That full year, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I go I go back home and I'm telling you know Mike Robinson and a bunch of other you know friends of mine. I'm, I, I told them I'm winning U.S. Amps next year. Uh -huh. Like I'm doing that. That's a thing. I love that. And they, you know, people kind of were like, oh, okay, sure, you yeah. know, like all right, you know, you you can say that all you want, but. Basically, you know, until we see it. Yeah. But I told him, like, no, it's happening. So I trained all year long. And the one thing I worked on the most was putting. Mm -hmm. And this is also a time that I also forgot to mention another uh, player that uh, I admired at the time, was, which is Nico LaCastro. Mm -hmm. Big Nico fan. And I loved that. I loved his putt. He Two, was on top of the world back 2000, then, too. 2008, 9, 10, 11, uh, 12, Nico Nobody was out putting this man. No, he was the best putter in the world by a one hundred percent. And I just thought if I could even putt a little bit like that guy, mm -hmm. that like big pendulum that, that he was big doing. pendulum putt, just even a little bit, I know I can win this tournament. Uh -huh. So I I worked on my putting for uh, that entire year, and you know obviously I was working on throwing as well, but that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't really the thing that yeah. I was too focused on. And then coming up to that week, I walk up for check in and. They're asking all the amateurs, you know, how do you feel like you're going to do at this tournament? And the person that was asking was Brian Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brian Sullivan, who was at that time the team discraft team manager. Yeah. So he, he asked me, how do you feel like you're going to do at this tournament? And I looked him right in the eye and I said, I'm going to win. Yeah. <laughs> I did not say that to him at that yeah. tournament. Yeah. I looked at him. I... I I told him I was going to win. And he laughed. You know, he laughed at me. Yeah. You know, like, ha, ha, ha. And I, I didn't break my stare down. I was just like, no, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh -huh. And then sure enough, you know, two rounds, uh, I am leading by two strokes. And then come up the, uh, the final couple holes where I have, like, I think a one-stroke lead over Ben Askren. And I, w I was just thinking in my mind, like, there's no way. I'm going to lose this tournament because I had to actually bogeyed the hole prior to that. Uh -huh. And I was like, there's no way. 17 with the, it didn't even have OB back then. Mm -mm. So yeah. hole 16, that little par three, I yeah. actually bogeyed that hole. Did you? Yeah. 
So after I bogeyed that hole, I was like, all right, well, if I can just go birdie par, this tournament's mine. Just throw as far as you can on 17. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just hucked that thing as hard as I could, and it, it kind of no took a little bit of a nosedive. The upshot that I had, which is actually on, on film, the upshot on 17 was probably where I was just like 100%. I knew that I, I, I had won. I threw it, and I thought it was going in. Yeah, it was so it was so good, and it landed like two feet away from the basket. It's a tough upshot. Yeah, it it was a, a wizard. I threw a wizard upshot from there. <laughs> you psycho! It was it was yeah. pretty big. It was a big shot. Yeah, and then hole eighteen, you know, just chipped a shot up there, laid up, and you know, the rest is history. From and there. I saw I've seen the video, and and Jomez obviously did a did a really awesome quick segment mm -hmm. for you, and it, they they showed that video. They showed that video of you winning. There was a lot of emotion pouring right, out right. of you. When you won that, and you know um, the AM majors back then. I mean, AM majors are big now, but it almost felt like there was a certain magic to the AM majors back then. That w it was even greater, you know. And mm -hmm. and people would flock like hardcore to these tournaments. And you know, obviously, the flow of emotion coming out of you was amazing. It was awesome to watch. You know, <laughs> it, you, you looked so much different than you than you do now. But at the same time, the energy was the same. And I don't even really need to ask you how it felt because I saw it in that moment, you know. But I know you got sponsored by Discraft as you won. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd like to say, you know, that probably started, an, you know, quote unquote, another timeline for you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, t I guess talk, talk me through going, what going pro meant and then where your head was beginning to go at that point. Mm -hmm. So after I'd, after I'd won uh, USAMs, I... I but like my intention of going there was never to get a uh, a sponsorship. Yeah, like it, that was not my intention. I wanted to go to just win that tournament, and then I also the other goal was I wanted to play USDGC. That was the other yeah. thing I wanted to do, because any every US amateur that won got to got go to, go to Winthrop. Got to go to Winthrop, and I, that was the other thing I wanted to do because I was like that tournament is the most prestigious thing I've ever seen, and I want to go there and play. Mm -hmm. Period. After I got my sponsorship, uh, I pretty much immediately accepted cash. Uh, at my next event that I played. But one thing that I was not aware of is that because of the time frame that when I did accept my, uh, mm -hmm. my first cash, which I think was in like August of 2011, mm -hmm. it took me out of the running of being uh, rookie of the year yeah. for yep. the prior year, which I, I did not know that. I yeah. had no idea because the, the following year I thought was going to be when I started. Yeah. But then that, that wasn't the Shoot. case. That wasn't the case. So my rookie of the year started... In August of 2011, mm -hmm. for the rookie of the year. So that was your rookie season was like literally like technically two my, or three months. Yeah, two no, or th not even that. Like maybe maybe a month because I I don't think I played anything past. I mean, obviously Shoot. I played U uh, USDGC, which yeah. So and then the other thing I was uh, unfortunate, I suppose, in in the timing of it was that was a year for USDGC that went performance flight. I saw that. Yeah. So 2011 <laughs> was the year that it went performance flight. So so everybody had the quote-unquote USDGC. The handicap. Yeah, with the, yeah. So the handicap. So, so that's what you had to play. That's what I got to play. And obviously it, you know, it did, it did well, but it wasn't the same. No, the players not were not even, happy. No, they were, t they were, yeah, they were abs, you know, they were furious. And so I got to play that. And obviously not very many people paid attention to it. So, I mean, there goes, like, there goes that opportunity. Yeah. And Wow, that was the one year that it mm -hmm. really, like, 
Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. So there goes that. So then the following year, 2012, that's when I, you know, I'm playing all pro. And uh, my first big event that I get to play was GBO. Okay. I was so stoked to play GBO. I played it as an amateur. It didn't do very well, but I wanted to go back because, you know, the amount of people that get to go and, and play these courses, I was so stoked. Uh-huh. And I actually played very, very well. I ended up taking 15th that's at the aw- event. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I was so stoked. I mean, my final round, I was playing with, um, I don't remember everybody that I got to play with, but I, I remember Avery Jenkins. For it's sh- a big deal. Yeah. I was, I mean... These, this is this is a dude that I'm watching videos of, like, mm-hmm. at, you know, on YouTube, and like he's, you know, he won worlds at this point. I'm just like, oh my god, I get the man's a pro athlete. Like, I'm, I'm playing with Avery Jenkins, bro. Yeah. And this is this is also a year where we ended at Country Club on the island hole. Yep, we got to end on the uh, famous island hole, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I wasn't having a great round, but it wasn't bad. I th- I make the island, and I make this huge. 28 footer i was just on the edge of the water and i make this big 20 footer in front of everybody because i was like i was on third card That's you know so sick so that was that was a pretty big deal moment for me i was so stoked disc golf starting to take you places so, so man. yeah disc golf yes disc golf started to take me in in in, in places that I, I i didn't even think of because i didn't travel uh-huh before i started disc golfing i didn't go anywhere mm-hmm I'm going to different states and I'm meeting new people and I'm just like this. This is amazing. This is awesome. Like mm-hmm. I want to do more of this. Yeah. So it's it's pretty intoxicating. It, it really is. I mean, it can be, it can be an addiction, which for me it kind of was. Here we are. <laughs> here we are here, in Santa Cruz, California. Here we are, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Here we are. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Double Helix Disc Sports. Double Helix is a growing disc golf retail brand started in 2019 by brothers Mark and Matt. Since I've been working with them personally, it's been so obvious to see how passionate they are about growing the sport as a whole, as well as providing guidance to each and every customer as they progress in their own disc golf journeys. Head to DoubleHelixDiscSports.com for their full selection of equipment, apparel, and their homemade grip solution, the Ringtail Dry Sack. For even more disc golf content and information, find them on Instagram at DoubleHelixDiscSports. I don't, I don't quite remember if, um, many tournaments I, I played. I, I think I played quite a few local events. Yeah. Again, you we're still growing as a player and you're mm-hmm. I, like you were just saying you it was taking you places and it was like changing your life you know mm-hmm. like you've told me before that disc golf kind of helped shape you and i think it's funny so many people say that mm-hmm. uh, you know how the game shapes you and, and and in golf in general people say that it shapes you Go, just the game of golf is a reflection of life and forces people into situations they wouldn't nor- normally experience outside of the game. Mm-hmm. How, as you grew as a professional, you know, moving forward from, especially from that awesome finish at GBO, how was the game shaping you as an individual? Well, the one thing that I, I took uh, from playing with uh, a lot of my local lo- local pros is, we 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 like to dress nice mm-hmm. at a lo- at a lot of uh, tournaments. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to show the most professionalism that I possibly could uh-huh. for the sport of disc golf in, 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 in any way that I 
I could. And at that, at that time, Dickies shorts were like the most popular thing. <laughs> yep. So, you know, if you had your fresh Dickies on and a nice polo, you were, you know, some of them had their long socks, you know, you, you were the man. Yeah. Okay. That was the disc golf style. That was the disc golf style. Like you were the man. I wanted to, I wanted to represent the game as, like I said before, as professional mm-hmm. as I possibly could. And then obviously that changes. Well, I guess not necessarily changes, but that, that but then that comes with more responsibility as like how you represent it outside of disc yeah, golf as well. Exactly. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, if I want to be known as somebody who can be looked at as professional, then I'm gonna treat mm-hmm. it. At, I'm gonna treat it as such. Yeah. I would just make sure that. I just live by the golden rule. I treat everybody the way that, that I, I would like to be treated. Yeah. Can't really quite. I, basically, I just wanted to make sure that I gave, I gave the, the sport the justice that it deserves. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, you know what I'm trying I know to say? Exactly what you, I know exactly what you mean. And, and I think going back to the question of how the game shaped you, having a sense of pride in what you do is like a big mm. deal. You know? That, mm-hmm. that, and, and I think as a kid, it's one, you know, sports are one thing. But when you become an adult, you know, a sense of pride is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, uh, actually, yeah, now that you mentioned that, yeah, disc golf, disc golf shaped me in a way where it kind of made me who I am today. Yeah. In a way, like, it, it definitely brought me out in a lot of insecurities I had as a, as a child mm-hmm. growing up. I mean, the, 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 the people that I meet, that I have met over the years, I mean, I, I still have, you know, a lot of friends mm-hmm. to this day. You know, three of them were in my wedding, you included. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely brought out a lot of the good in me. Yeah. That I didn't realize was even there. Yeah. I, I also, I, I want to talk about something too, and it's a shared emotion that I think you and I have both experienced in our younger years playing disc golf especially. Mm-hmm. Something that I remember for you as when I was coming up into open and I was finally getting to play with like you and like MDR and like all these other Iowa players, you have always had so much passion for this game. And I remember, and I gave this in my speech at your wedding, (laughs) disc golf also brought out some, some anger in you. Mm. And I remember, and oh, yeah. it, it brought it out in me too. And it oh, really yeah. like forced me to, to look at myself in that mm. way. And I, I, I don't mean to bring up this negativity, no, 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 but no, no, no. I, I say this as somebody who's felt exactly how you feel in, in the sport. It might be for different reasons. You used to get really angry, mm. you know, oh, yeah. playing when you were younger. Oh, what, yeah. what was that? Do you, do you know what it was? Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, it was all just, um, frustration with, with, within myself mm-hmm. and not performing to the highest of, you know, ability that I know that I'm capable of. Yeah. And the, the other part of that is the reason why I got disgusted. Well, I mean, it, it was obvious. I didn't put the time and effort in to have the outcome yeah. that I was anticipating. So there's like an internal battle going on. Huge internal battle. And it was, it was miserable. Yeah. And there were times where I was like, this isn't fun. Uh-huh. This isn't, this isn't a fun time. Like this isn't enjoyable for anybody. Not me, not the people I'm playing with. And if if you're gonna if you're gonna play this sport, and and you're gonna commit yourself to it, you cannot have this type of attitude. Yeah. Because no one's gonna want to be around that. Yeah. And it doesn't help either. It doesn't help anything. Yeah. It really doesn't. It doesn't help to get that upset. I I just find it so fascinating. Like you know we're younger. We're playing am divisions. It's so easy to like be blissful when when mm-hmm. we're playing tournaments as kids or as teenagers. But then like you say like 
the better you get at, at this, there's like a phase I think that's, you know, certain people go through where they know what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the anger comes from like, why can't my body do this thing that my brain knows that exactly. I can do? Golf is this crazy thing that I've been, you know, having to watch from afar and then also experience over these years, just like you. It's like a phase you go through where, where the, the anger that you feel you think is justified because you're getting better. You're able to, to get angry at something because it's, it's like you, you're, you, you're like, think you're better than you actually are. I don't know how to explain it. This is how it was for me. Okay. What helped you to start rationalizing that urge to get angry on the course? Because I, I watch a completely different Ben today, you know? Mm-hmm. What what is that for you? One thing was it it was it was self reflection for sure. Mm-hmm. I I would go back and and just view myself in my head like how I was acting. That's just that's not what I want to be remembered as. Mm-hmm. That's not who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Anytime I, I I still get frustrated on the course. I mean everybody yeah, does. I of mean course. it's it's natural. I don't let it get to the, that degree uh, mm-hmm. like I once had. Yeah. For me, I just I just make sure that. Anytime I feel that that kind of anger, I, I, I immediately start, start thinking about my wife. Yeah. She's my go-to. Yeah. And my daughter. And then I think about if they were right behind me. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, that, that can get, you know, even if my wife is there, like, I can get sometimes a little out of hand. But, you know, if she is there, then she's there to calm me down. Yeah. But when she's not, it's just a, a mental picture that I put in my head that, hey, you know, she's watching. Yeah. You know, you can't let your anger get I feel that man get a hold of you right now I've watched I I watched you come up in disc golf and I watched you kind of like grow with Sarah as you met her and then like when you had Ruby like how like disc golf completely changed for you moving Mm -hmm. forward in life and you know you had been playing disc golf as a pro from like 2012 to you know when that all happened Mm -hmm. for you had you ever started dreaming of touring before you met your wife yeah, I. Oh, funny story. Yeah, I definitely uh, thought about wanting to tour before I I met Sarah and and had my daughter. But what deterred me away from that is the lifestyle behind it. I didn't I didn't understand mm-hmm. how these men and women were living on the road mm-hmm. comfortably. I so when some local pros would come to my local A tier, and I asked them, I was like, so what's your advice Mm -hmm. for somebody that's wanting to start touring, be on the road? How do you make a living doing that? What are you doing exactly? Mm -hmm. And the only answer I I got was just do it. Just do it. And I didn't understand that concept back then until Uli, our team captain, Paul Ulibar, he explained it to me uh, down in Jonesboro. So at the time, I'm just like, so that wasn't very appealing to me. I'm like, I don't, I mean, I don't really know if I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather have some sort of income and like have some, you know. Stability. Stability would be great. And then Uli just summed it up with, well, what are you going to do? Die? Like, <laughs> no, you're going to live. You're going to go out. You're going to do it. And you're going to live because that's natural. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. You're going to do whatever you have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. So that's what he meant by just go and do it. That's touring. And I'm like, well, where were you nine years ago? Like, come on, bro. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. It seems so simple, but it's it's like, especially back then, like 2012, when Mm -hmm. you were, you know, when you turned pro, that was right when Prodigy and everything was starting. And 
players were just then mm-hmm. beginning to get contract. Mm-hmm. You know, there Contracted were a handful yeah. of people back then that were getting taken care of, but not as many as that just, you know, started mm-hmm. in 2012. You asked the question, it didn't seem like being a road warrior mm-hmm. was your thing. It, it, I was not, I was not about that life. Like I, I would, uh, so I, I stayed home and I worked a job mm-hmm. and became what is commonly known today as a, a weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. You know, just work a job, go play some big events, maybe make some money. Yeah. And come back home, go back to job. <laughs> yeah. And you and, did that for, and you've done that for a while. Yeah. I and did it for quite a time. I do want to talk about, you know, how I'm very impressed with your weekend warrior. Like when you were a weekend warrior, you still took disc golf as professionally as you wanted to take disc golf. Mm-hmm. I want you to explain like how you were, cause you say training and you train. Mm-hmm. You trained for disc golf. Mm-hmm. What did training look like for you as a weekend warrior pro disc golfer? The training regiment that I have now is actually fairly new. It's only like a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. For back then, uh, I was working a construction job. Mm-hmm. My training was, uh, you know, I would go out to the field and, and just work on my, my form and everything. But then I would also have a lot of resistance bands. Mm-hmm. I also did... Uh, a lot of core exercises. Mm-hmm. I also do feel like, you know, kind of working that construction job helped keep yeah. my, I mean, it's it, just any kind of physical labor, really, you know, that, that, that sort of helped in that way. But, okay. um, but I would also go on runs. Okay. Basically I was just, I was just doing a lot of, uh, unorthodox exercises. You weren't like lifting weights or anything. No, I was not lifting any weight. The only weight I was lifting was strictly body Okay. So you're doing just a lot of push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups. Push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups. Uh, for anybody who knows, one punch man uh, <laughs> exercise. That's yeah. that's pretty much what that is. Yeah, and you did that for a long time, and you've stayed in like ridiculous shape mm-hmm. doing that. Like, And you said you just started doing other stuff yeah, like recently. a year and a half ago. Yeah, recently. That's awesome. Yeah. You did this for a long time. That's what I've always known you as. But I remember us talking like, you know, 2017, 2018, when I was starting my tour – I remember you saying like, oh, I want to be out there with you guys so bad. I want to be traveling with you guys so bad. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I do have a wife and kids, you know, I got a job. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know? And it was like sad, you know, cause you're my best buddy. You know, you're one of yeah. my favorite people to play disc golf with. And, and to hear <laughs> that, I'm like, ah, oh, shoot. Like, I hope he's not regretting trying it too much, but I, I guess I want you to tell me the story recently of this huge shift Talk to me about this this new shift in your life that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, le- leading up to when my wife and I decided to actually have me go on tour, obviously I, I, I kept myself in decent shape. My wife and I got married in 2019, mm-hmm. at, right before COVID. And so then right when COVID happened... I'd, I like it's it's brand new. Mm-hmm. It's in you know it's a, it's a pandemic and and there's a lot of things going on. So when they were saying that you should stay home from you know everything, yeah, you know I I made the decision to stay home and quarantine my myself along with my family and and try to keep my family safe. Mm-hmm. And that obviously uh, didn't really sit well with the people I worked with. Mm-hmm. So when that when it finally was lifted to where we were able to potentially go back to work and, and, and go inside in places and social distance, mm-hmm. I asked if I could come back to work. And, well, they said that they were short on work because, well, obviously a lot of the stuff we were doing was in people's homes and yeah. they don't want them in their home. It basically, it, my, I just essentially lost my job to COVID. 
So then when that happened, my wife and I also recently just bought a house right before we got married. Uh-huh. And it came with a, its own little gym in the basement. So when COVID happened... I did not know that. Yeah. So I have my own little gym set up in, in the basement. It's, it's got pretty much everything that I need. And and when and when covid happened i i i just that that's when i started training cuz mm-hmm. i was like this could be an opportunity uh-huh. right now i i bought a giant net mm-hmm. and i set up my basket and i i literally just trained every single day pretty much from when covid mm-hmm. started all the way up until now and me and my wife, we started talking every single day because th- th- we didn't know for sure if I was actually going to go on tour, but but I was still prepping myself and you know in case that were to happen. Yeah, and your wheels were turning. Um, oh, it, <laughs> things were being set in motion, and I mean, I could I could see the light, but at the same time, it's like okay, I can't get carried away right now mm-hmm. because you know if there's a if if I if I need to get a job for my family, I I need to get a job for my family. Yeah, but me and my wife, we talked so much every you know about me potentially being on tour and how I was going to be on tour and how I would financially set myself up and how uh, often we were going to be able to see each other because that was the biggest thing that was mm-hmm. her biggest concern was me being away from my family and she would be ba- she would be taking care of our daughter mm-hmm. by herself essentially we we finally made the decision to where I was going to go on tour and it was one of the most surreal moments of my life. <laughs> um, you told me very quickly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, you, you probably were one of the, one of the first people I told, I, if I remember correctly. But what a story, you know? Yeah. It was amazing. Like when we finally made that decision. And so then we started setting, you know, things in motion from there. Like what tournaments am I going to play? How often can I come back home? Mm-hmm. And then while this is all happening, my wife, Sarah, has, a sister who lives in Texas. She wanted to come move to Iowa because she didn't like living in Texas. You know, her and her husband were tired of it and they have, they have two kids and they were like, you know what? We want to come move to Iowa. And I told, I told Sarah, I was like, before this all happened, I was like, how great would it be mm-hmm. if she were to move here right before I go out on tour? Yeah. And then like you guys could, Help out. Help out. She could help out, yeah. Sure enough, Brian. <laughs> two months later, yeah. she gets a job. They move up here. That's outrageous. In January, which is a few months right before I'm getting ready to leave. And I'm just thinking to myself, there's no way that this happened for no reason. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. It was almost like a... It, it was definitely a sign. Yeah. Yeah, it was a sign. Yeah. And, and I mean, here you are, you and here made it on the road and you know, you started out, you played okay. You know, I saw you miss the cash mm-hmm. at Waco, Yeah, but something has clicked, oh, yeah. you know, at least I know. And I see it in you. And I, I just, I think the reason I wanted to have you on this show is like, it's the whole coming of age story. Like all those years of you, you know, skateboarding and just <laughs> hanging out in Iowa and then you find disc golf and your creative brain just like figures out all these shot shapes with the DX Valkyrie and you know you win the US Amateur Championships and you just so happen to get sponsored by the guy that you called your your win you know the, mm-hmm. the day before the tournament you know and, and all this time is going by and you know sometimes a wife and kid and job kind of shuts the dream off but then yeah 
dude, so many people went into quarantine with not with the mindset that you had. Mm-hmm. And going into DDO, you know, that tournament, and everyone's now watched it. They've watched Jomez. <laughs> they've watched you come down the stretch. How good did it feel to be in that spot where you felt like your work was beginning to, like, come... During come, during the final round? Dur- just during the tournament in general. Oh, honestly, it, it felt natural. Yeah, it felt like nothing, right? Yeah, like it, it really didn't feel flow like... Flow state. Yeah, it, it felt... Like, during that second round, I was just I was just throwing a disc. I was just out there throwing the Frisbee. Yeah, you were. Yeah, and it, it felt so good to finally be able to showcase that because yeah. I was just like... This is what I do, mm-hmm. and I feel like I do it well. And you so, belong here, you know. Like you've... I, I do, I do feel like that. I really do. Like I, when I was up there, I mean, yeah, the nerves were, you know, they were there. But I mean, that's why we play the game, right? That's why we play the game. If I didn't have nerves, I, f- I don't know if I'd want to play. Mm-hmm. I feel like I mean, uh, you know, then the passion's gone. Yeah, you so, like challenge, absolutely. And so you come down the stretch, final round, and that was hype. That final <laughs> round was ridiculous, man. I know, like it didn't go exactly how you wanted it, but the the the, the, the vibes that I was getting from the crowd, the the the, the I could almost like feel the aura. Mm-hmm. You know, it was strange. It, like, cause when that Jomez video came out, I could I when I when I when I finally threw my shot on hole eighteen and I pinned it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like. They they were cheering for the other guys on my card, you know. Like I I could hear it, mm-hmm. I could hear the I could hear the, the the screams, and then when I made my putt, it it got it got a little bit bigger. There was just like yeah, yeah, and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. dude, I make people feel a certain like, way. I was like, that is that's that's pretty cool. That's special, man. Yeah, and I was just like, I love this. Yeah, you've had intoxicating moments in the past and things that you've done. Where does that tournament rank for you? In regards to intoxicating sports moments, second currently, S- second or third yeah. currently, yeah. My first ones actually just happened recently. Yeah, I yeah I was gonna say <laughs> the rumble in the quad cities. Like I, I I'd like to even cap it off with mm, this. Sure. Tell the fans about this tournament because this happened after everything that happened yeah. at DDO. Yeah. Tell the fans about the rumble. It's a special event. Yeah, yeah. It was a very special event. It's it's my local A tier. I, I, it's the only it's the only event that I've been playing that I have not missed since '09 or uh, or 2010 even. I won it as an amateur, and then after that, I I told myself that I that I want to win this event as a pro. Mm-hmm. Like I have to do it each year, just grinding it out and just coming so close and just faltering that final round. Mm-hmm. It was it was always so uh, demoralizing, but knowing that I had another year, you know, to yeah. prepper you know prep myself and come back, so. Going into that tournament, I felt extremely confident. I was, I was just thinking to myself, like I'm, kind of like in 2000, you know, mm-hmm. AMS. I was like, I'm going to win this tournament. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm winning this event this weekend. No one's going to stop me from winning this event. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and she goes, "We're going to do this." Oh, let's go, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's like, "We're going to win this event." I'm going to be on the bag the entire time. It was the first. It was also the first tournament she got to finally be caddy because you know, she's really? been at, yeah, she's been yeah. at home. She's been at home, so she was so excited, and I was so excited to have her. Obviously, I said it in a, in a video that I posted on Facebook. One, one of the other reasons why I wanted to win this event so badly is in recent years that mm-hmm. I, I wanted to dedicate this one to my father. Mm-hmm. You know, And the reason why is because it was the only tournament mm-hmm. that he got to see me play. Yeah. And that's why I said that 
I, actually, Sarah was probably the only person I, I told this. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't tell anybody else. I, I only told Sarah. I was like, you know, I, I don't really care about any other wins. Mm-hmm. I don't care about any other tournaments that I win in between before this happens because this is the event that I want to dedicate in his memory. Yeah. The emotional weight that I carried on my shoulders yeah. was intense. It, That's it was, the one that I've seen you when I, when I talked about, like, you having passion, mm-hmm. like, this is the event that I've seen you have the most passion yeah. at. Because I know how much it means to you, you know, mm-hmm. and you've come so close so many times, you know. And you went to a playoff, you know, uh, even did. this year. Yeah. So how was that? Uh, it, it, was, it was pretty intense. I, I, I had a couple final holes. Uh, I, had, I actually had a bogey on, on, on one hole. And then Andrew Presnell, gentleman that I went into a playoff with, he had a one-stroke lead on me, and I had two holes to play. So I was like, okay, if I go birdie, birdie. And I'm talking to Sarah this entire time while I'm doing it. I'm just going, honey, if I can go birdie, birdie, Mm -hmm. I will win this tournament. Mm -hmm. Bare minimum, I have to go par birdie or birdie par. I cannot bogey or go par par. I have to. to." And she's like, okay, well, let's do it. (laughs) Next hole, I didn't get it. It's a pretty short par three. And I was like, okay, I have to birdie this final hole. Mm -hmm. And it's a very demanding drive kind of shot so if you hit anything early it's going to be a tricky birdie throw my drive it was perfect i almost even th- i almost threw it in for for the eagle and i was like oh my god uh, it didn't go in. i was like okay fine we're going to playoff first hole playoff is hole 13 at camden two it's a big par four you're throwing it's wide open and you're throwing mm-hmm. this giant turnover for lefties a big hyzer and it goes into uh in a, a wooded area it's where a beautiful hole. it's a beautiful hole and it's the only wide open hole on the entire course everything mm-hmm. else is wooded it's the only hole that's like open. It goes back into the woods, but it's still fairly open. And the basket sits on top of this little hill. Very treacherous. It's mm-hmm. not a very big hill. It's not terraced off. So if you, you know, hit anywhere on the basket, you're it rolling. doesn't go. You're rolling. Goodbye. So Andrew Presnell throws his shot. Beautiful shot. Makes it into the gap. I throw mine. I maybe am about 30 feet further than him. He lays his shot up under the basket and... In this moment, I'm thinking, I can win this tournament right now. Uh-huh. I can end this. And it's a big putt. It's not not easy. It's like 50 feet, and I'm looking at... You were running the two on that one? Yeah. Big boy shot. Yeah, I wanted to run it. I wanted to end it right there. Like, uh-huh. on, the, like on that stage, I, just want, I was like, I'm going to end this right now. I throw the putt up, and it was not a good bid. It went right, hit, rolled 35 feet long. Did it really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't because they didn't get it on film, yeah. film. But that was this, yeah. So it rolls 35 feet long, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe I just did that. And I'm looking at this putt, and I'm thinking, I can see the crowd. And I'm looking at it, and I'm, in my mind, like, the, the nerves the nerves walking up to the putt were, f- like, it was overwhelming. But I walk up to the putt, and I just, I, I I'm, I'm, like, shaking, and then immediately just... I'm like, okay, you need to calm down right now. <laughs> you did not come this far. I need to calm down right now. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm talking to myself, and I'm like, you did not come this far. Mm-hmm. You did not come this far to winning this tournament to lose on the first playoff hole mm-hmm. on a putt that you didn't even give a good run on the, in the first yeah. place. And right after that, I took one deep breath, and I jammed that thing in there. Jammed it right in, and I was like... There's no way you can lose There's now. no way I'm losing. Yeah. Very next hole... Uh, very tight tunnel shot. You have to hit a gap. If you don't, it's jail. Short par three, but again, the gap is only maybe 20 feet, mm-hmm. if that. Yeah. We both hit the gap. 
He has about a 25, 28 footer. I have about a 20 footer and he misses his putt. Mm-hmm. And when I heard it, like he, he was banging putts all day long, but when I, like I couldn't look, mm-hmm. I had my back turned. And when he, when I heard the doink, mm-hmm. no way. It's time. It's time. This is big boy moment right now. So I step up to the putt. I just, I'm looking at the basket and I'm thinking, just, just lay it in there. Mm-hmm. Took a deep breath, made the putt. <laughs> And the amount of emotion was insane. Yeah. It was so much, so much. I, it's like I, a decade's worth of emotion, <sighs> like, coming out of you, man. Like, that's that's insane. Like, you've played that tournament so many times, dude. So many times. And, yeah, it was uh, it was a, so much emotion. And and and, and it, was, it was, it's without a doubt the biggest career uh, win I have to well, date and for you to be out here like in the, especially in this year <laughs> when all the things in your life are starting to finally line up you yeah know, obviously a lot of things have lined up so far i mean yeah you know the, your family is amazing and the people you surround yourself with are amazing and you dedicate yourself fully to what you do so things aren't just aligning for you but like <laughs> it's like the opportunities are finally coming to mm-hmm. you you know and you're taking them i wish you the best man good luck tomorrow and thank you, you again well. so much for being on the show brother i I, I'd be lying if I said that this wasn't one of my goals. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah. re- I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I do. Yeah, man. I, I, uh, I'm stoked. Any, any closing words for any, any l- the listeners here? Yeah, make sure you subscribe to Brian's podcast, The Flight Diary. It's, if you haven't yet, then you're missing out. Flight Diary is edited by Nick Soave, music by Johnny Darge. The 2021 disc golf season is absolutely flying by. We are already in the Midwestern stretch of the tour. I am sitting here in Chicago taking an off week before heading out to Detroit for the Discraft Great Lakes Open. I will have another episode out to you in a couple of weeks. So thank you again so much for your support and we will see you then.